I like playing against those those fiery guys. I like playing against Julian. I like playing against Rafa. Uh, I just think it's it just makes it fun for me because I feel like I play better when the person that I'm playing against is kind of being loud and maybe talking some trash or whatever it is. I'm not really because I'm so I'm bouncing my feet too much almost to even think. Like if, if you ever want to do this for fun, go out there and bounce your feet as much as I do and see how many thoughts come to your mind. Really none. I think one of my strengths in pickleball is that recounter. Like sometimes my first speed up isn't perfect. They sit on it, but I'm actually on that next one. So this is my first attempt and maybe my last attempt at a solo podcast. Um, very unfortunate. Adam has a baby. Um, he didn't have the baby. It was his wife. But, uh, you know, whatever it is, really tough out here to get a guest. And now I'm here alone. So I've decided that the best option would be for me to give you guys 20 minutes of just some nerdy pickleball content. And I fielded a bunch of questions before this. So if you're not interested in the nerdiest, nitty gritty stuff related to pickleball, then probably don't watch this. But if you are, we're gonna get into some detailed stuff about what I think about pickleball. Uh, we're gonna go into all these questions on different, you know, whatever it is, strategies. They've asked me a bunch of stuff about uh, uh, you know, dinking, countering, whatever it is. So that's what we're gonna talk about because Adam didn't wanna come on. I tried to get Nunnery to come on the pod. He didn't wanna come on. Greg Dow, I've had him on too many times. It's, it's getting a little outrageous, so no Dow. Anna's watching the NBA. She didn't want to come on. We're in a tough spot here, guys. This is just not how we drew it up in the playbook here at Selkirk TV. I feel bad. But anyway, we're going to get into it. Um, so, dear James, what is it going to take for a team to beat Ben and Colin consistently? Keyword here is consistently. Uh, we haven't seen Ben lose or Ben and Colin lose to a team twice in a long time since it was Matt and Riley in 2022. So that's a pretty big deal because obviously they lost to Wyatt Stone and Jaume Martinez Vich. They lost to Todd Fought. Or no, who did they lose to? They lost to Phil Locklear. They've lost to some teams where, you know, they're not going to lose to that team again. Right. So that's not really something. That's not what this question is asking. The question is asking, what is it going to take for a team to lose, uh, for Ben and Colin to lose consistently? And I think that actually will take someone on the left who is just as consistent as Ben. Uh, generally, people think that the strategy is to just try to blow through that team. You've got to just speed up and trust your hands. And that's what Matt and Riley did. And Matt and Riley are the team that's had the most success um, against Ben and Colin, albeit it wasn't a lot of success. I think they won maybe three or four times over the course of a you know 15 matchup rivalry, not really a rivalry. So blowing through that team isn't something that I think is possible to do on a consistent basis, at, at least with the players that we have now. Um, Colin is great at countering. Ben is also great at countering. They're great fundamentally. They know the spots to be in. Um, I just think eventually, even if a team were to speed up everything from, you know, with a certain attack, they would adjust and they would end up winning. So to beat that team consistently, obviously we haven't seen it. I think it would take a team that can actually dink with Ben and Colin um, because you don't want to be you know, speeding up from 
disadvantageous positions. If you're going to speed up from below the net, maybe you'll win one time, but it's not going to happen consistently against that team. You'd have to actually earn, you know, miss dinks, pop up dinks. Maybe Colin will miss one dink. I don't think I've seen him miss a dink since, you know, PPA Atlanta. It's actually a fun fact. You can go back and watch PPA Atlanta 2022. Um, he missed two dinks in the first game and they ended up losing that match in five. And uh, just a little random seg random thought, but um, you have to beat that team by actually dinking and making the right choices and just being a better team. And I think it's possible. You know, everybody talks about, oh, Ben and Colin, you're not going to beat them at dinking. It's impossible to beat them at dinking. You have to speed up and trust your hands. Well, pickleball is not a solved game. You know, Ben isn't Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic. Ben is a great player, and he's the best player that we've seen by a pretty good margin. But I don't think he's some unattainable figure that is, you know, you're never going to be better than Ben Johns at dinking or, or drops or resets. Um, I think that is actually the key. You have to be better than them at pickleball. So um, I think being able to dink cross with Ben and, and dink cross with Colin and move the dinks around, I think it would take somebody that can, you know, a left side player that can speed up off the bounce, not only from the backhand off the bounce, like Riley had a lot of success with against Colin, but also from the middle. And you see the issue with Riley speeding it up at Ben and Colin um, is he can't do it with the forehand with that pancake grip, his forehand off the bounce speed up is not great. Riley's an unbelievable player, but I think, you know, he, even he would probably say that. So they were able to bail out middle and dink there the entire time. And I think a team that would beat Ben and Colin needs to be a team that has a backhand speed up from the left side player, uh, forehand speed up. That's at least good enough to keep, you know, things, keep that option open, right? Good forehand speed up from the left side player in the middle, from the middle, and also a good forehand speed up, obviously, from that right side player to keep Ben honest. Um, I think me and Matt have those qualities, sort of. And obviously, you know, not saying we're going to beat Ben and Colin uh, in the near future. I mean, um, we could, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that uh, you need to be able to speed up from everywhere on the court because I think that's one of the limitations that maybe Ben has. Ben is the best player in the world, but if it bounces to his backhand, right now you're safe. And I think, you know, he could work on that and he could add a two-handed backhand off the bounce. I'm sure you've seen him hit two-handed backhands and singles now. That wasn't something that Ben did in, in 2022. He didn't drive two-handed backhands. Now he's driving them. And it's not a spectacular two-handed backhand drive. He's not Connor Garnett or me, but he can do it. And hitting a two-handed backhand speed up off the bounce isn't rocket science. You're 14 feet away from the other player. Arguably, it's easier than hitting a two-handed backhand drive in singles. So I don't see why he couldn't add that shot. And yeah, so it's a long-winded answer, but I think that the the real answer here is you would need to beat them at pickleball. You can't just speed up everything and play dumb um, because I don't think Ben and Colin are, you know, Ben and Colin aren't AI. They're not going to, you know, they're not robots. They can miss. They can hit a dink that's slightly more attackable than the previous dink that they hit. They can make mistakes. Um, they're not going to make a lot of mistakes, but yeah, I think it's, I think that's part of my theory, you know, that men's doubles is going to slow down a lot. Uh, I think, you know, the soft games are going to get better and better and the speed ups, how much better can the speed ups really get? I don't know. I, I don't think they'll get as much better as the soft games will get. And 
what will happen if Ben and Colin play against Ben and Colin. Be a pretty slow match, I would think. And I think that might be what things look like because now so many more players are going full time. People are getting better at the soft stuff. And, you know, the fast stuff is something that comes a little more naturally to tennis players anyway. Like how much faster are your hands going to get or how much better are your counters going to get? Maybe marginally so, but there's going to be guys who are hitting a lot of dinks, a lot of drops, and I think they're going to get a lot better at those shots. And it's just, it's going to be tough. There's, a, there's an argument to be made that maybe it won't make sense to attack that much I mean, with dinks getting higher and higher quality. So that's, uh, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Maybe the game is going to speed up a ton and maybe that's how Ben and Colin are going to lose. I don't know. But my opinion is you'll have to just beat them playing pickleball, playing the right way. Dear James, sorry for the long-winded answer, by the way. I'll, I'll try to be quicker. It's not good. You can, you can tune it out if you want, guys. Just leave. Uh, but dear James, I'm really comfortable dinking and countering, but I don't have a lot of success attacking. Okay. Well, I think, I think one of the things that make, I probably should have went over these questions first. I, I just kind of going going over these on the fly. Um, one thing that is very important to know when you're playing somebody is where to attack them. So if you are playing somebody who is great at their, you know, they've got a one-handed backhand counter, everything's with one, and they don't use two hands in any situation. And if you look at, you know, rec play, especially as you go down, even 5-0, 4-5, not a lot of people, I mean, at least from what I've seen, are using two-handed backhands comfortably. There's people that just like to use their one-handed backhand. And you know, that makes sense. It's not something that I never had to deal with, but that makes sense. So you think about the, you know, just the buyout, like how, how does it, how can you generate a lot of power on a wide backhand with one hand? If you make them reach like this, it's tough. You can't really get a hard counter or hit a hard counter that way. Um, if you have two hands, that's how you do it. But for me at least, and I've got, you know, at least I like to believe I've got a pretty strong one handed backhand counter, but if I go out here and out here and out here, I'm not able to get a lot of power on it. So with somebody like that, who only uses one hand, you could probably say, okay, well, I'll attack them at their wide backhand out here. And then I'll keep them honest, maybe attack them at their right shoulder and um, pick spots that way. And then if somebody only likes to use two hands, it's the opposite of that. And usually you'll see that with women. A lot of women only like to use two hands on their back because they're not that strong with this with one hand. So in that case, you can go right at their chest because if you've got one hand, that's really comfortable. But if you've got two hands here, that's kind of weird. Maybe you want to hit a forehand or slide or make them move. So if they use two hands, you can go right at their body. That's what I do in mixed all the time. It's my favorite part about mixed, speeding it up right at the girl, right at her body. It's the best. So that's the second point. Um, I think the third point here is that when you speed up, this is something I learned this year. This year, um, For me, at least, it's a lot more effective if I'm speeding up out of the air to just go right at the person, full bag, right? It's not even going in and they just can't leave it. And I've had a lot of success with that because think about it. If you take it out of the air, you are maybe two feet closer, maybe even three feet closer to the person than you would be if you were taking it off the bounce right on the kitchen line. So that's something that I have a lot of success with is if I can reach in and take that time away and take it out of the air, I will just try to hit the person 
right in the middle of their chest or at their left shoulder. So I think that's something that's underutilized. Um, just making sure that you're either doing, you're doing one of those two things. So you're either picking a spot on purpose and you're trying to make it, or you are not trying to make it and you're just going full bad. And those two things need to be clearly defined because if you're trying to sort of go for a spot, sort of go full bag, but it's not full bag, maybe it's 85% pace, then it's not as effective. You need to be either going full bag, knowing that you're not going to make it and just fully commit to hitting it practically as hard as you can, because that's the most effective way to hit a full bag. Or you need to be picking a spot because if you're going, you know, 85% full bag and it's going this far out and then it goes out, there's nothing to be gained from that. If, if your speed up, I'll put it this way. If your speed up is going to go out, if it's classified as a shot where you know it's going to go out, but you're still hesitant to hit it as a full bag, you're leaving power on the table that's otherwise going to serve you. You need to hit it as hard as you can. Because hey, look, I never want to miss a speed up by six inches or, or like a foot, right? Maybe six inches, maybe that's just a mistake. You know, I was just trying to make it. But if you miss a speed up by a foot or two feet, you're doing it wrong. You need to either make it or commit to not making it and saying, well, I'm banking on this ball hitting the person. And you'll find also that as you go down in level 5-0-4-5-4-0, they're not great at leaving the ball. I'm not even great at leaving the ball. And I'm, you know, at least a five, better than a five. And I can't leave the ball. So I think that's something that's really underutilized is the fullback speed up and it's fair game. I think it's, you know, there shouldn't be a stigma associated with not going for the full bag. Um, if you want to wear glasses, wear glasses, but this is a sport. And if you can win the point by hitting somebody, then you should use that to your advantage. So that's all. Um, dear James, I think you have some of the best counters in the game. Something in my throat. How did you practice this? Uh, my counters are pretty good. Fun fact, I never actually practiced. Uh, I never practiced my counters, really. Nothing nothing deliberately until, you know, a year and a half in. I just, it was always sort of natural for me. Um, dinking was also pretty natural. It was weird. I, I always felt more comfortable dinking than a lot of the other new players, and I felt really comfortable countering. When people would speed it up at me, I would just kind of naturally go with one hand at my chest and, and two hands wide, and... I was just, you know, a lot of tennis players, they have, uh, you know, they volley by cutting the ball. They come under the ball and that's a problem in pickleball. You need to volley the ball down, obviously, but I didn't volley in tennis because I've only played, I think, I've got to pause my, something in my throat. Okay. We're back. Sorry guys. I had something stuck in my throat. Um, countering. So it's funny. I didn't play doubles tennis really at all. Um, I played like two pro tournaments. I actually got ATP points in doubles when I played one of my two pro tournaments and we got pretty lucky and we got, I think two points. We got to the quarters of a 25 K. Um, my partner was a lot better than I was. And uh, my partner is actually Jericho Grohman who now plays pickleball. And uh, so I didn't hit a lot of volleys. I never played doubles in, in junior tennis. I only would play singles at these tennis tournaments. I didn't care about doubles and I didn't come into the net when I played singles. Like my coaches were really confused. Why don't you come in the net? I just was never comfortable volleying. So I didn't have a lot of muscle memory actually from hitting slice volleys. So I came into pickleball and it was really natural for me right away to just counter the ball down. 
and kind of hit swinging volleys. I hit a lot of swinging volleys in tennis. I actually got made fun of for that pretty frequently. So I didn't practice them. And uh, I think that your question that was asking, how should I, how should you practice them? I think a good way to go about that is maybe have somebody, you know, whatever side you prefer, left or right or both, you have somebody down the line from you, they're across the net on half court and you feed them a bad dink on purpose. You know, it's a little high, a little floaty and they speed it up at you. You don't know where it's going. They can go anywhere, do anything with it. And you have to counter the ball. I think that's one thing. Um, working on the recounter is something that I I did do pretty frequently because it was just so fun. I would do it with with Anna and and um, a lot of my friends, which is they give me a bad dink. This is actually a fun drill, by the way, for anybody. I still do it. They give me a bad dink. I speed it up to them, but they know where it's going and they can kind of sit on it and crush it. And then I have to deal with that next one. So I think that helped me a lot because one of my I think one of my strengths in pickleball is that recounter. Like sometimes my first speed up isn't perfect. They sit on it, but I'm actually on that next one. Um, I think I do that pretty well, especially mixed. I love doing that mixed. And I'll do that with, with people. Like I'll say, look, I'm going to go right at your chest or I'm going to go to your forehand, your high forehand, which is usually doesn't end up too great for me. And they're ready for it. They sit on it, they crush it at me. And then I have to just deal with it. So that's a great way to work on, you know, in the event that you hit a speed up where they're sitting on it, and you still have to, you know, there is a way to deal with that. You can kind of get used to it. Um, and I think, I think that also knowing the patterns is really important. I think I got used to the patterns really early on. Um, just kind of knowing that one example is if, if you speed up wide, uh, let's say you're on the wide sideline on the left, for example, if I have a wide backhand on the left and I speed it up across their body, it's going to come back this way in like a triangle um, most of the time. And that's just kind of the momentum of the ball. If you're going this way with the ball, then it's going to come back this way. And I, I think it's the same thing on the right. You have a wide forehand. You speed it up across their body. So long as they take a backhand with that ball, it's probably going to go that way. It's probably going to go towards the middle. So those types of patterns, you kind of figure that stuff out subconsciously as you play. Um I like for me, I didn't even think about it. And I kind of was just picking up on that stuff and just doing it. So the more you play matches, um, especially the more you play against better players where you can expect consistent patterns to actually happen, uh, that kind of starts at the 5-0 level, I would think. Um, I think that's important too. So dear James, when will Ben Johns lose? Um, well, he's lost, but I think this question means when is he not going to be the uh the best player in the world and um if it's not a current player then it's not going to be for a while right anybody who hasn't picked up a paddle yet it's going to take them some time to get better than ben johns i just played ben johns uh, me and tyler lost in five games to ben and colin and we were up two games to one really close match ben wasn't at his best uh but i felt confident and i felt like i wasn't too far off from ben um i think that we don't actually know how good Ben is because he isn't losing consistently. And I think that the same goes for Anna Lee. Um, when Ben lost to Matt and Riley, uh, I think three times in, in early to mid 2022, he had been getting beat by uh, one particular pattern, which was Matt Wright speeding it up down the line to Ben's wide backhand, which Ben would usually, you know, in 2021 and for the better part of 2022, he would just reset it. Sometimes he would try to get two hands on it. 
and it wouldn't be a, you know, wouldn't come back hard. Uh, he, he didn't have a lot of muscle memory with the two-handed backhand. He never swung hard at that in singles. He would just drop his two-handed backhand and, or he wouldn't, he would just drop it with one and he didn't do it in mixed either. So that was what beat them. It was Matt's forehand speed up down the line. And then Riley had his forehand pancake in the middle, ready to clean up Ben's counter. And um, Ben lost. And guess what happened? Ben obviously went to work on it. I haven't really spoke too much about it, but it's clear that he did. Because now if you speed up down the line to Ben's wide, wide backhand, he hits the heck out of it. And those are the improvements. And it's, you can't even do that anymore. And that's actually what made Ben and Colin, I think they won their last like, I don't know, 10 matchups at least with Matt and Riley, because if once he shut that down, it was over. So those are the improvements that happen when you lose. And if Ben and Colin had never lost, Ben would have never developed that huge wide two-handed backhand. So we don't actually know how good Ben is. Uh, if he's not losing, I can't really say he's how, how easy is it to get better if you're not losing. I think it's almost impossible. You need to lose consistently to actually get better and figure out, you know, get get it shoved in your face what you're not good at or what needs to improve. So that's kind of what's scary, right? Because Ben is, you know, this isn't like a tennis situation where there's like a big three and they're all somewhat close together or, um, you know, whatever it is. It's like Ben is clearly a pretty significant amount better than whoever the second best player is, whether it's JW, Riley. Um, and if he's not losing and he's still that much better, then I think it's going to take a lot of, you know, maybe JW and Dylan find a way to beat Ben and Colin. And then they do it two times or three times. And then Ben and Colin figure something out and then they might win the next 10. And, and, you know, something like that happens. So I'm confident in, you know, I don't want to sound unconfident in what me and Matt can do, obviously. Um, because Matt has obviously shown that there is a path to beating that team. Uh, but I think it's going to take, yeah, I, I think, I think Ben is, you know, better than what we see right now because he's not losing. Um, what's a hot take that I have a hot take, uh, you know, this isn't, I mean, this is something that I was just talking about um, yesterday, but this might not be a hot take. People talk about how all these new tennis players are coming in and the top 10 is going to be, you know, almost entirely displaced uh, pretty soon. And I think that that narrative is exaggerated because if you look at 2022, um, the players that came in and eventually became top 10 players are on the men's side, at least it's just me and Federico, uh, I think we're kind of that year. And then I think Pablo is like maybe a little after us and he's kind of right, right there also. And then this year it's, you know, you've got Christian, you know, I mean, Connor Garnett, obviously, like they're kind of in that kind of on that borderline also, but it's not happening that quickly. And I think it's not going to happen as quickly as people think, because it's not going to happen in practice. Uh, you need to do it in tournaments because pickleball isn't tennis. The difference in level between the top five players in pickleball versus you know the number 25 player, the number 35 player is huge. And what does that mean? Well, you're not gonna get to that level until you play them in tournaments over and over and over again, because getting to practice with those players isn't easy. Um, and to do it on a you know, 
do it consistently is definitely not easy, especially if you're just coming into the game. Like nobody was you know, Noah Rubin or whoever these, these new tennis players, when they come in, it's not like they got to practice with JW and Ben right away. Right. It doesn't happen. So it's a slow progression. And I think it happens during, during tournaments. Um, and yeah, that gap that is from say the top five to the top 25, it's big because pickleball is a pretty small pool. Um, you know, it's not tennis where there's so many players who've been playing for so long and their skills are so refined. They're so good at tennis. Um, like, you know, the hundredth best tennis player in the world is better at tennis than Ben Johns is at pickleball. That's just my belief, right? But the number 100 pickleball player in the world isn't good at pickleball, really. I mean, they're, they're okay, but they're not great. So, you know, that's, but the top five players are actually, and I think are top 10. So to get into that top 10 is not easy. I think it takes time. I think it'll take a couple of years. And if you look at the top 10 right now, you know, seven of those guys were in the top 10 three years ago. So it'll happen slowly. I think, I think we should kind of press pause on the idea that tennis players are going to come in and take over the sport so quickly because it hasn't this year, it hasn't really happened. It didn't happen last year. Um, so that means it probably won't happen next year. Okay. Uh, what music do you like? Uh, I don't think you guys care about this. This is supposed to be just a nerdy podcast where I talk about pickleball. So we're going to let this one go quickly, especially because I'm not proud of this, but for whatever reason, I'm really into Olivia Rodrigo right now. Uh, don't know why. Uh, I just kind of, you know, not proud of it. It's weird. I, I go through these phases of, of liking, uh, you know, an artist a lot and just kind of, hopefully it's going to go away soon. Uh, we'll see because I don't want to keep getting made fun of for it. And um, that's all on that. Okay. Last thing we've got a few more, but I mean, this is just I'm starting to lose my voice. Who is your favorite player to play against? I've got a few. Uh, well, I got to say my best, my favorite is Riley Newman. Uh, my favorite player to play against is Riley Newman because he is such a good competitor. Uh, he's, it seems like he's always going to give his best and he makes so many balls and it's kind of like the perfect challenge because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't hit the ball that hard. Um, he, he just kind of, he won't miss and he gets a lot of balls back. He's kind of like the, he's like a grinder um, of pickleball. He just competes great and he makes so many balls and it takes a few balls to get through him if, if it's a hands battle um, because he's not, he doesn't have the heaviest hands, but he's got really good hands, great hands. And he just, he's not going to give it to you. And I think that's, that's something that I'm grateful for. I think I'm somebody who loves to compete and I think pickleball is kind of that second chance for me because tennis was over. And I think that's the same way for a lot of us. So playing against somebody who I think is also just a really good competitor is something that I appreciate and winning or losing when I play with Riley, either one is great. Cause I feel like it's uh, you know, not just Riley, there's a lot of guys that compete really well and it's just, you have to earn it. And I think that's what makes it so fun. It's like the more that you have to earn a match, the better it feels if you do win, I think. So he's one of them. Uh, I like playing against those, those fiery guys. I like playing against Julian. I like playing against Rafa. 
uh, I just think it's it just makes it fun for me because I I feel like I play better when the person that I'm playing against is kind of being loud and maybe talking some trash or whatever it is. I'm not really because I'm so I'm bouncing my feet too much almost to even think like if, if you ever want to do this for fun, go out there and bounce your feet as much as I do and see how many thoughts come to your mind. Really none. That's why I do it. And uh, I like it. I like the trash talk. I like people talking and being loud. Because it makes it just makes it fun. Like I kind of, I've been competing in tennis since I was seven. Like I, I just at this point I've seen it all. You know, I, I've seen everything, and and I just want to have fun. I want to. I like the back and forth. I like the talking, and um, yeah, it just keeps me into it. It keeps me engaged. So I think I think that's uh, one of the reasons why I'm so excited to play with Matt also next year. So okay, that's all. Uh, maybe the first and last solo pod. Um, thank you. That's all we got, guys. Thank you for watching. If you made it this far, I'm proud of you.